When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This, 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 Fight Disciples. Welcome to podcast episode number 766. We're the Fight Disciples and this is your MMA review. I said this on the boxing show. All my days. What a seven-day period for fight sports. If you're into your boxing, you're into your MMA, it's just action-packed from start to finish. We have had a cracker in London, which we're going to review in a minute, and we're heading towards UFC 291 this week, where Justin is taking on Dustin. It's a stacked card as well. So lots to get stuck into, and we want you to come along for the ride. So please subscribe to us via our website, fightdisciples.com, and you can also tune into our YouTube channel, where we are growing nice and slowly but we're still growing. So thank you very much. If you've gone across there and become a subscriber on our YouTube channel, we really appreciate it. If you haven't done it yet, please hit the button. That'd be great. Fight Disciples is what you're looking for on YouTube. Have you come down yet? Have you, have you, have you chilled out? Are you, are you completely relaxed after Tom Aspinall blew the roof off the O2 arena? It was, uh, it was an unusual, unusual event because obviously we did, we did a lot of content. We had a live show running throughout the nine fight preview card. Uh, which we didn't get much airtime because of all the points decisions. But then we jumped on and did a bit of a live broadcast prior to the main card. Then as soon as the Tom Aspinall uh, decision was read out, <clears throat> we went straight into a, a post-fight show. So we had, we did a bit at the weekend. We had a bit of graph, but I think all them points decisions and also, you know, this wasn't March 2022, was it, when it was the British armada of victories. It was very much all over the place on the night. So, when we got back to the fighter hotel, very uncharacteristically, I only had two beers and went to bed, which is not usually May. my style. May I have never. Firstly, I've never actually say you see. I've never actually seen you say goodnight to people. You normally just fucking backdoor it and then clear yep. off, and everybody's wondering where you've gone. Yep. And like I said, you went upstairs. You sat in the bar by yourself. I'm like, well, what, what? Everything's happening down here. What's up with you? You've had a couple of scoops. And you went, right, I'm off to bed now. See you in a bit. Bye. And I went, yeah. who's that guy? Who is he? Was What's so weird? Obviously, <laughs> obviously we, 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 had a good, we had a good go Friday night, didn't we, with, uh, with Bobby B was out with us. So we had a fucking oh, yeah. scream Friday night. Mate, um, that in itself, he's referring to Rob Beckett, right? You may have seen the picture. So me, you, Bispin, Bispin's dad, Bispin's dad's mate, Oriatar. And, of course, Rob Beckett came out and we, we just literally sat around a table and Rob Beckett did a stand-up routine for us for about three hours straight, man. <laughs> Nobody was safe. They were all getting it. Bispin's dad oh, got yeah. ripped to bits. Bispin got ripped to bits. I got ripped to bits. You got ripped to bits. <laughs> and we were like, mate, my stomach's hurting. I'm laughing that much. Shush. Oh, yeah. Shush. 
the next Mate. day my cheeks were killing me Funny. when I woke up Saturday morning. But Funny night. I, I, me, I spoke to my wife Saturday morning and she was like, oh, you didn't have time to ring me and the kids before you went to bed? I was like, honestly, I was locked in to Rob Beckett live, which was fucking brilliant. <laughs> like, three three hours. All it cost me were a few beers. That's yeah, it. Exactly, Just sat yeah. that and said, right, let's go, man. Let's have a crack. I went, I went to Jane. Mate, honestly, he's one of the funniest. He's one of the, he's probably the funniest person I've ever met. We were in bits and Jane was going, you do know he's a professional stand-up comedian, yeah. you dickhead. Okay. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> but you know, he's one of the lads, isn't he? But I didn't expect him to be that funny. But uh, but yeah, we had a fucking scream, didn't we? God only knows what time we all went to bed, but it was it was the wee hours of Friday night. And oh. I think that was also caught up with me on Saturday. Listen, I, I know. Hang on, we haven't told that story. <clears throat> Right, so that night's going on, right? And certain Rob actually left, I think, about half an hour before us, didn't he? Because he had to get a train on. So he, he goes, right, see you in a bit, mate, ta-da. And a couple of people started filtering out on all this. And then you filtered out with three pizzas under your arm. Not one, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that was, yeah, that's true. Not correct, one, yeah. three. He ordered himself some food to go to bed and he ordered three pizzas. <laughs> what the hell were you thinking? I don't know, I don't know. Honestly. Did you nail them? Did a fuck. I woke up in the morning. They were all over the floor. Yeah, I'd obviously oh, put them on the end of the bed, knocked them off the bed. <laughs> woke up the next day. Poor cleaner had to uh, had to deal with the uh, the mess the next morning. But uh, yeah, I don't know what goes through my mind in those drunken moments where I think, yeah, three pizzas for bed is exactly this, what I need is, at two o'clock in this, the morning. This is the contrast between us, right? Because he does that, and then I get Larry. Saying that I can outrun Michael Bispin, right? Yeah, that's true. I I'm pissed out my face going, Mike, you can't keep up with me on a 5K, man. And me and him are arguing <laughs> in this bar, and that were it then. Nine o'clock in the morning. So bear in mind, I got told that I got to bed about, it's not too, too late, about two ish, something like that. Bispin's on the phone. Right, come on. I'm outside your hotel. Let's go. So, whoa, I can't go now. It goes, get outside now. <laughs> so me and him went out for a run on that Saturday morning. Plan for 5K. And he goes, how are you feeling? I said, yeah, I'm feeling good, man. He goes, let's keep going. And it was one of them. Do you know like that age-old story where Tyson Fury talks about being in the sauna with Vladimir Klitschko? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was that. And neither of us then were giving in. And we just kept going and going. And, and I was like, mate, this is starting to hurt now. He's like, good, don't give up. Don't give up, pussy. <laughs> and we just kept... We ended up doing about just over 10K, mate. I was fucked. Absolutely. This... I had to go... I had to go back for sleep. Mate, that's almost been the theme of your week because there was one day where you you went into the sauna with him and he wouldn't let you out the sauna either. <laughs> more the fool you. Like, what? Like, more the fool you. As soon as Bispin says he's coming to train tomorrow, I'm like, no! Yeah, mate. Because he ain't he's fighting an anymore. He ain't he's fighting an anymore. animal. So oh. what he has to do is he turns his S&C into a competition with anyone he that's does. around him. Anyone. Yeah. So I was like, mate, I know you too well, Mike. I ain't going anywhere near you. Whether it's in a sauna, whether it's in a bar, whether it's on the outside on the streets, nah, man. I'm like, yeah, sound. You lads crack on. You lads crack on. I'll hit the gym. I'll I'll hit the gym with Bugsy Malone's personal trainer. Me and me and the main man doing a little bit in the gym. Mega good fun. <sighs> so yeah, good week. A really very good, good. Week. brilliant good week. Really, really, hopefully everybody enjoyed. Uh, watching the broadcast, watching all the content we did on the brand new TNT Sports. They seem pretty happy, which is a good sign. So we're all happy. But the fight itself, the event itself, one, let's talk about the, the negative. Not a sellout. First time in a decade, man. That's the first time 
since giving away tickets in bloody Nottingham years ago. It's the best part of a decade since the UFC failed to sell out here in the UK. That was hard to watch. And judging by social media, it wasn't by choice. People just could not afford the tickets. Hopefully, and I'm almost certain that has been noted by UFC. And hopefully in March, ticket prices will come back down to a more respectable level. Even the respectable levels atrocious. But hey, I've just bought tickets for Jane to see bleeding, what's her name, Wizards Cuff at Anfield. And they they cost me an absolute fortune as well. So, you know, tickets for live venues are expensive, don't get me wrong. But still, what I'm trying to say is they were overpriced. I think the UFC appreciate it was overpriced. I think in March you'll see it come back down to what it was in 2022. Yeah, it was about two-thirds, wasn't it? Maybe just a little over two-thirds full. Yeah. Yeah, and that's disappointing because... Of course it is. Of course it is, because it's a great event. The fighters involved in the card, sensational, but maybe that was reflected in the performance of the Brits because it was just a little bit up and down, man. We just could not get going. Yeah. Uh, Main event, man. Uh, What did I say? I went early last week, didn't I? I went early. I said, Tom Aspinall is the best heavyweight on the planet. I went early. You did. You did. I, I still think there's a rather no. large no, I'm in. person or two in the way before I jump on board with you and that. I'm, what I'm, I will say is, I'll agree with what Mike said on the review show, the UFC heavyweight division has never seen a fighter as dynamic, as fast as Tom Aspinall. I truly believe that. I think he is a next-generation heavyweight. I, I, I honestly believe that. I think there's one or two people he must beat before we can put him on the pedestal uh, of any of any higher. But he certainly looks very, very special indeed because Martian Tybora didn't land a fucking punch. Mate, one minute, 13 seconds. Do not underestimate Martian Tybora. Number 10 heavyweight in the world. He'd won seven of his last eight. Okay, we said that Aspinall would come out and he would beat him, and he would beat him fast. But that's no reflection on the abilities of Marcin Tybura. I think Tommy Aspinall would do that to the majority, and he's done that. I mean, look at what happened with Spivak. Blasted Spivak. Spivak's gone on this fantastic run and finds himself now in a fight with Cyril Gam, of which he genuinely could win. Most people would go, well, Cyril Gam's going to win that, isn't he? Well, hang on. Spivak's been brilliant. That's a really, really tight fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Paris. Aspinall is a very, very special athlete. He was flowing like water from the minute uh, Mark Goddard said fight. He yeah. was just absolutely tremendous from start to finish. And when I say finish, I mean getting hold of a microphone and telling you exactly what he's about to go down. That, he cut a promo. And it might only have lasted for a total of three minutes with an interview as well. But that's the best three minutes of his career so far, and I am giddy as a kid in a sweet shop to see him in Paris, cage side, as he said, staring through that cage, going, one of you two's next. Which one is it? Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> the we, we talk so much about rocking the microphone, how important it is to take Massive. control of your career and move it forward. And disappointingly, that we had two featherweights with big performances on the undercard who all week we were chatting to going, are you going to call out? Are you going to call out? Yeah, I'm got, I like this guy, I like that guy. Great, 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 great. And neither of them called anyone out. They were like, I just want someone in the top 15. Fucking rubbish, man. You've got to create your own path. Be specific. Don't wait for the UFC to go. What about this? What about that? Tom Aspinall just went, right, I've obliterated Ty Border. I'm back now. I'm 
new and improved. I'm ready for anyone. I really want John Jones. I know I ain't going to get that next. So give me the guy who John Jones just beat or the guy who's just beat him. I'm going to go to Paris. I'm going to get sick cage side. Whoever wins between Cyril Gann uh, and the white polar bear, give me that guy because that guy is the key to fighting John Jones or at least be in a position to say, hey, John, I am next. And even when we put to him, we said, listen, man, there's, listen, there's a guy called Pavlovich that beat Curtis Blades that's also probably going, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want the winner of Stipe versus Jones. And and uh, Tom Aspinall was like, all right, then we'll give me Pavlovich in New York then. There's the narrative. He's willing to go to Paris, fight the winner. If you wanted to fight Pavlovich in New York, he'll do that as well. Whatever it takes to make John Jones, Jones look over his shoulder, that's what he's trying to do. And if you listen, if, I fully expect John Jones to fight Stipe Miocic, to beat Stipe, and that's far from a foregone, but to beat Stipe and go, that's me done, riding off into the sunset. And it's hard to argue against that. The only way he doesn't do that is by the guy over his shoulder making as much noise as possible. So everyone in the sport go, wait a minute, John. Whoa, 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 whoa. You've, surely you've got to look at this before you go. Surely you've got to clean this up just to go, that generation's done too. Yeah, you can't run it's, off. You can't yeah, run exactly. off, John. Where are you going? And and while John Jones and John Jones fans, of which I'm one, might go, well, he doesn't need fucking, he doesn't need Tom Aspinall on his record. The point is the generation coming through now, which is a solid heavyweight generation, need to make as much noise as possible to get John interested and get the UFC interested. Get the UFC to go, well, tell you what, John, go on then. We'll throw another 10 million at you because we need to know. We don't want you to walk away and vacate when we've got this below you. We need to know. And you know what? Jones might walk away in November. But towards the end of 2024, if Aspinall or a Pavlovich, if someone clears out the division a bit and goes, I'm the fucking new kid, couple of defences under me belt, I'm the best thing this weight class has ever seen. Someone might just have a word in, in, in John Jones's ear then. So even if he does retire, doesn't mean he's gone forever. He's come back after a four-year hiatus now. So it ain't far from Dumbledore. I just love the fact that Aspinall did his job, delivered, and then went, right, where are you going, John Jones? I'm right here, kid. Mate, where are you going? The best... Listen, obviously, we know Tom well and his, and his team and all that. The best bit of it, it all is when he gets... He said, give me that microphone, Michael Bisping. And yeah. Bisping's like hanging onto the microphone for dear life, which is his job. Don't give him the microphone. That's the first rule, right? Yeah. But Tom jumps on there. He says, I'm going to go to Paris. I'm going to sit ringside, cage side. I'm, and I'm going to... and I'm." What he said was specifically wording, I'm going to beat the winner yeah. and then I'm going to beat John Jones. That's what he said. Specifically, I'm going to beat that guy, then I'm going to beat John Jones. And the O2 reader just went, <laughs> But what it did do, it stimulated Cyril Gam. It stimulated John Jones. Straight mm-hmm. to social media. Straight to social media. They know who that dude is now. Yeah, They knew who he was previously but they know who the guy is now and they're going to be watching that narrative because if he does go and he's all he needs to do now is just follow up on what he's just said, go to Paris, get the fight, but with Cyril Gano, Sergei Spivak, beat them. Mm-hmm. And then there's only one thing left to do, isn't there? Where are you? Why, why are you running away? Where are you going, son? I'm here and I'm ready. UFC 300. I'll see you. I'll see you soon. 
UFC 300 is going to be around March, April time next year, isn't it? And obviously the UFC traditionally 100 and 200 have always been huge anniversary events, real massive productions. Now, the way things are looking and the fact that he's he's no longer training or certainly doesn't appear to be training or certainly doesn't appear to be closed in on a Chandler fight any time soon, you would you would speculate that 300 next year may well see Conor McGregor return for mm. the start of another campaign, the last fight in his career, whatever. Tick whatever box you want. But that would be the way the timings are, the way that John Jones and Stipe could probably be the end for both win, loser, or draw, certainly for Stipe. So you would hazard a guess 300 is there. 300 could well be vacant heavyweight title fight time if 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 Jones is going to walk away. The, as you say, the point is we don't want Jones to walk away. We want him to stick around. We want him to headline UFC 300 and hopefully headlines UFC 100 against our very own Tommy T. Tommy TNT Aspinall, eh? The bent badger himself. Superstar, mega. He was honestly, we've been around Tom a lot. Uh, you know, I've, I've known Tom since he was incredibly young, training in Liverpool, being around all his cage warriors days. The talent has always been there. The size, the strength, the physicality, the athleticism has always been there. What was never there until this week, which we and, and he mentioned it in March. We did some TV work with him in March, and he was like, I'm a different animal, kids. You wait and see. And he backed that up at the weekend and he backed it up all week. Just the way he talks, the way he carries himself. You know, he doesn't, he no longer slouches to suit the room. He no longer like, you know, it's a little bit like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm here now, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, one day I'll realize now he walks in the room and his fucking chest's out and his chin's up. And he's like, this is, this is my show. I'm here. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. It's happening now. Come on board if you like kids, but that's where I'm going. Whereas previously it was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm doing well. You know, maybe this fight's next. And I'm in, I'm in no rush. He's in a rush now. Now he wants to be champion of the world. It's going to happen next year. Honestly, Tom Aspinall will be heavyweight champion of the world in 2024. I'm convinced of it. All aboard, baby. Uh, Co-main event, Molly McCann took on Julia Stolyarenko. Um, the positives, first and foremost, Stolyarenko was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. On the feet, real long rangey. Molly struggled trying to get in on that range. Um, and Stolyarenko kept her at range. Nice long kicks, nice long jabs, looked good. And then the minute that they ended up clinching and getting in close, man, she went through the gears. Sensational, yeah. elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Whacked on her, what is it, a ninth or a tenth armbar finish. Um, she was get, she was ace. Obviously, major disappointment for Molly. Massive disappointment, you know especially yeah. coming off the back of Madison Square Garden against Darren Blanchfield. That's a person that's going to go on to uh, challenge for the title. Is Stolyarenko going to do that at 125? I don't know. I don't think she is. I'm, I'll be honest. That's the. I'm, I'm trying to talk about the level of the opponent that Molly was beaten by at the weekend. But this is elite mixed martial arts. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. This time, a gap in her game was exposed. She was beaten. Yeah. <clears throat> I am sure she will dust herself off. She will come back and she will expose the gap in somebody else's game going forward. Plenty. Listen, man. Social media is a mad old gaff in it. You know what I mean? There's a, a lot of batshit crazy Real. people out there that love to take to social media and have a do at fighters for bearing their yeah. souls in front of us for our entertainment. Come on. It's fight sports. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And this time, she lost. It was, uh, yeah. 
social media was a cesspit yesterday. The amount of people fucking taking pot shots at her, who've probably never stepped in foot in, inside a fucking uh, a, a training mat, never mind a, a fucking cage or a ring. Well, it's not uh, just even that. It's not just even that. It's from a. It's from a. It's from a human point of view. Understanding it doesn't have to be fight sports. It doesn't have to be sport. Putting yourself out there, putting your head above the parapet, taking a chance. Here I am. I'm going to go for it. You don't always win. Fucking hell, man. We in our careers, in anybody's, I've lost more times than I've won. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Keep going back. Keep having a go. Exactly, and that's and that's for everybody in life. You keep having a go, and if you keep having a go every now and again, you'll take that step where you you do have a success, and it, it then becomes well worth the journey that you're actually on. And that's where Molly's at right now. I don't understand people that want to have a go at someone. Ju- you know, for falling well, short. Of course. Someone stepping up and taking a chat and taking a shot. Yeah, man. I think <clears throat> in bo- if this was boxing and Molly McCann had just lost the fight in the mat, you know, uh, against a, a, a talent like Ellen Blanchfield. If this was boxing, we'd have seen it in a layup opponent. We'd have seen it matched with someone with from a kickboxing background with far less experience who she could have bullied and manipulated and probably spin and elbowed. But this is the UFC, and that's not how the UFC works. And Stoli Renko wasn't in winning form. You know, she wasn't nope. a winning fighter. What she was is a former 145-pound fighter, a former bantamweight, who's gone to the UFC and said, listen, I can't string two wins together here. I want to do a weight cut. I want to come down. I want to go down to flyweight. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it at the PI. I'm going to do my weight properly. I need to reinvent myself. Give me that opportunity. And unfortunately for Molly, right place, wrong time. Her being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with a shitload of arm bars on a record made it a very similar style to Ellen Blanchfield. And if you're Stolyarenko, you're like, the girl who just got tapped out by a jiu-jitsu, where's you want me to fight her? Fucking sound. I'll take that all day. So she's come down as the bigger girl naturally with her strength in an area where Molly has struggled previously. So it was a tough matchup for Molly. I really do think that. Like, I know I know she'd lost recent fights to Lyarenko, but physically and technically in that area, she had a big advantage over Molly. So it was always a risky fight. It was always tough. You know, if Molly ended up in in, in a guard, she was gonna she was gonna struggle. It was about can she keep it on her feet? And I thought Molly looked nice and sharp. She looked all right. She was weaving around, she, she looked confident, she wasn't too excited. But I think that could be Stolly Renko. Well, not even could be. I think that was Stolly Renko's best performance in the UFC. She kept the long. Yeah, of course. She said, kicked Molly back. She kept the range. And then when Molly engaged with that one shot, she timed that level change takedown absolutely perfectly. And listen, I don't, I personally, I've not got a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So I, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people who commented online have either. Her so transitions were awesome. Mate, the way she transitioned was awesome. The way she got awesome. that arm bar was super slick. Molly rolling over, did that help the R bar? Should she have stayed where she was? Should she have tried to stack her? It's easy to stay that in the aftermath, man. But when you're in that moment, literally minutes into the fight, and you get put in the position, the one position you practice all fucking camp, don't get there. And you're there. Listen, you make split m- millisecond decisions 
that can end fights. And I think that's what happened in this moment. I feel for Molly. Should Jason Herzog have jumped in sooner? Absolutely. I think Jason Herzog himself has come out and said, listen, man, I apologize. I apologize to Molly. I should have been quicker because Molly made about seven or eight taps before Herzog eventually got Stolyarenko to let go, which ultimately could keep Molly out until 2024. But listen, <clears throat> as you say, as I said to Molly in the in, in the Hilton afterwards, sometimes in this life you're the hammer and sometimes in this life you're the nail. And unfortunately, she's been the nail in the last couple of fights. Yeah, man. Um, think about it before you tweet, kids. That's all I'll say. Uh, Nathaniel Wood, Andre Feely. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I'll say. Because what an incredible fight. Nathaniel's been fantastic. I know he's had a little bit of bad luck. Last year, he had bad luck with his fight falling off the day, on the day of the fight. He had bad luck at the start of the year when he was matched up against Lerone with a freak injury that he had to his knee. But the two performances that he put in between those periods of bad luck were brilliant. Stepping up in weight, he yeah. is so fast. He's brilliant to watch. His footwork's absolutely sensational. And he backs himself because he's carried that power up uh, to the weight division. Um, and we knew that Andre Feely, who was on, a, you know, he's in a bit of a sketchy period now. He came off the win of uh, Bill Algeo, but he had a few defeats previous to that. He had eye surgery at the start of the year. So where was he going to be at? Both of these dudes absolutely brought it. Nice long left hand drops Nathaniel early doors and we all go, whoa, here we go. Nathaniel turns the round around, nearly finishes Andre Feely in the first. Second, you're thinking, right, Nathaniel's just going to go through the gears here now and he's going to go and get the finish against uh, Andre Feely. Feely's having none of it, lands an absolute beauty, nearly finishes Nathaniel. And then, because the fight is so closely poised, you've got high-level Chester, haven't you? Cage right, who's, got, who's going, who's not going? And Nathan, i tell you what, there's, I'm going to come back to this fight when we're talking about Danny Roberts, right? Because yeah. Nathaniel, what he did, after nearly being finished there in, the, in that second round, he used his brain. He, managed, he he got a little bit of time, don't get me wrong, when he was on uh, he was on his back, wasn't he? He got a little bit of time yeah. uh, when Feely was trying to fish for submissions just to clear his head. And then he used his brain, he used his boxing, he used his footwork and his range control to navigate round number three and seal the victory. He didn't go tough, man. He didn't go, right, I've got to go and get that one back now. He didn't mm -hmm. go tough, man. He just used his brain, navigated it. What a fantastic win that is for Nathaniel Wood. Yeah, I think the the the, the chess match that became the third round was because both of them were hit. Both of them knew they were almost finished in, two, in the previous round. They knew they were heavy 10-9 rounds. They, they weren't even 10-8, but they were probably they may have been 10-8 each. They were very similar, but they, they were probably 10-9 rounds because there was a lot going on as well as almost getting finishes at the end of the round. And they both come on for round three knowing one mistake here could cost me the fight. And ultimately, that's yeah. what it was as well. Nathaniel moved in and threw a lovely left hook. And it just landed clean on Andre Feely's chin, snapped his head back. And I think that, there was two of them actually, but it was the first one especially was the most significant strike of round number three. And I truly believe Nathaniel won round three based on that one or two mm. significant strike hooks. Those were the ones that caused the most damage. And that earned him the fight. And that came down to, you're right, man, his composure. He put himself back in the room. He put those two, especially the second round, he put that one out of his head and went, right, let's get back to round one here. Let's get back to business. The fight starts now in round number three. Quite clearly, it's 1-1. One, one. Let's not make any mistakes. Let's not get ragged. Let's keep nice and tight and let's wait for the opportunity and set it up. 
and he set that left hook up perfectly. Brilliant fight, brilliant. How good is 145 for British fighters, man? Very good. Very, very good. I love because Laurent, honestly, let's talk. I love yeah, Laurent's well, performance against Josh Coulibau. Like hmm. on the train on the way home yesterday, I was like, which is the, you know, the, the hopefully the, the rankings get published Monday, Tuesday, could be any time, I think later today. Will we see Nathaniel or Laurent Murphy enter into these featherweight rankings in top 15? Because they both put in stellar performances. I would say Nathaniel has beaten the bigger marquee name in mm-hmm. Andre Feely. But actually, if you know about the form Josh Coulibau is in and how talented Josh Coulibau is, Lerone's performance against Josh Coulibau is probably even more impressive because, mm. yeah, they had a bit of a ding-dong in the fittest round, but <clears throat> Lerone wins it. He wins two, and then in three, he just puts his foot down and looked absolutely brilliant. 10-8 rounds at the end, just to fucking rubber stamp it. I thought Lerone Murphy, especially after his performance back in March when he was a little bit off it, which we understood. He was 10 months removed from being in a coma, for Christ's sake. But I just thought this was the big moment. Josh Cooley, Bowler, Rome, Murphy, very similar stages in their career. Two massive prospects in the featherweight division. Go on then. Let's see who deserves a ranking. And Lerone, boom, turned up, delivered. I thought he was brilliant. I needed to see that from Lerone. Especially after March, I needed to see that because obviously you start to then think, oh shit, did that accident last year take something from him? Has it just slowed him down a touch? Because that was always the best thing about him, his footwork and how quick he was. Reactions, so fast twitches and he's so good. Faint bang and I'm in. His boxing's beautiful. And against Kulabau, I thought it was a really competitive first round, to be honest. I thought Kulabau had a go, he had a little bit of a look. I thought he's really unorthodox with some of the stuff that he was doing. But... um, Laurent kept his focus, kept to his game plan. I thought his lateral movement was really, really good. And he edged that first round. But then it was right. Okay. I feel okay. I've had a look. I can see what he can do. We talk about it on our boxing show all the time, don't we? About downloading data. He's had a look at Kulabau now and he's gone, I'm quicker than him. Let's go. And he just started to ease through the gears. It wasn't a rapid like gear change. He just eased through in round number two and he steadily got quicker and quicker and quicker up until listen, it's a weird knockdown, isn't it? Because when yeah. we were watching, we were going, What happened there? And you're going, Did he land it? Did he land a one with a hand? Big <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's landed this weird thing, which is obviously just not the wind very slightly. We've all been there, you know what I mean? You get it with your football in the nuts, so you get it with your footy in the stomach, just text you for a second, doesn't it? And that's obviously what's happened in that particular moment to Kulabau. But the then he just goes shark hunting, doesn't he? He sniffs <clears> that blood. He's a nasty, he's a nasty bugger. He's a lovely lad, Laron. We had a good chat yeah. with him uh, post-fight back at the hotel. And he is, he's a really sweet, down-to-earth, humble fella. But he's a nasty bastard when he, when he gets you hurt. And he starts to Bobby. go through these gears. And it was quite evident that he wasn't going to finish Kulabau because he's an elite operator and he knew how to hang in there. But it wasn't a case of, well, I've won now. Let's just hang on to this. Nah, man, he was consistently looking for the finish. He was making Kulabau graft his bollocks off to stay in that fight. Hence, two of those judges giving him a 10-8, which he thoroughly deserved. If you're not going to finish the dude, get a 10-8. Make it absolutely... Well, listen, I've done everything but finish your pal, right? Yeah. I thought it was a really, really good performance. I needed to see it. And now I'm a lot more confident of, of going back to where Lerone was pre-accident and saying, right, yeah. here we go now. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, absolutely agree. I thought he was wonderful. But, 
he wasn't the star performer from the main card. Obviously, we've talked about Tom, but the other star performer from the main card was absolutely we, Paulie Craig. Because we, Paulie Craig, right. is even better than big Paulie Craig. He was phenomenal against Andre Muniz. And that was, a, again, a real tough matchup. You come down to middleweight, to get matched with a guy who's ranked in the middleweight division that's got the same elite skill set you have, i.e. grappling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and they match you up with him. And the first round's a tough round, man. The first round, it's fucking all one way, then the other. The t you know, as we, as we thought it would be, it's a bit of a kickboxing match, but Andre Muniz actually looked like the bigger guy to me. Paul Craig was tall, but Nunez's back was out here. His waist was like a swimmer. He looked so physically strong. And you were thinking, which way is this fight going to go? And then suddenly Paul Craig takes it to the ground in round two, gets into the position, works his way patiently. Listen, Nunez is elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but Paul Craig is elite jiu-jitsu for MMA. Elite. And he moved into that position. He got into guard for the first time, and he just progressed from there. Next thing you know, he's raining down elbows, gives the referee no option. A TKO performance under Andre Muniz. That's how you arrive at 185. That was fucking superb from Paul Craig. Not surprisingly, it ended him a $50,000 bonus check as well. Mate, all people have spoken to me about that don't necessarily always follow UFC and MMA is Paul Craig. That's all we Paul Craig? That's all they've spoken to me about. Like, the, first and foremost, you know that uh, one of my best pals came down. First time that he's ever experienced UFC. Sam came down to watch it. And he goes, "Make my favorite fight is that Scottish fella." And I just started laughing. I said, "Which one?" You... They were both exactly because Chris Duncan was wicked as well. We'll get to him yeah. in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. He goes, "Nah, man." The fella that comes out, he went nose to nose during Buffer's uh, ring uh, uh, announcements and stuff like that. Intense. He goes, yeah, I'm not here for people touching hands and giving each other a cuddle. We're having a fight, mate. And Paul Craig comes out, amazing ring walk, comes in, intense as fuck, and then just as it, proper as it, gets the finish. Um, Obviously, you know, I think I told you at the weekend, uh, when in, when it's an English card uh, of a, on a good time zone, uh, my wife allows my son and my daughter to an extent, but she gets bored out, halfway through it, yeah. Um, to stay up and watch, and watch the fights. And Ted is proper into it. I, I think I've spoken on the show on many occasions. He's training himself. He's he's, he's into it. He's, he's starting to compete. So he's watching it, and he watched it from start to finish. It helps that we're on the TV, so he's looking out for that as well. But he was mm -hmm. into the fights, and he's watching certain bits of certain things. Uh, obviously, he watches Danny's fight because his daddy's been at our house. Um, random, random things, right? So he's watching all these things. And then my wife had gone upstairs to, uh, she was doing something upstairs and all she could hear from downstairs watching the TV was Teddy. Bear in mind, he's nine years of age, right? Going, go on, lads. Go on, lads. Go on, you've got him now. Go on, lads. And he was shouting at the TV for Paul Craig. He was going absolutely crackers to Paul Craig. And then he's uh, sending me messages whilst we're on TV. He goes, dad, Paul Craig, mate. Paul Craig, wow, how good's that? And it was good. Don't underestimate how big of a win that is. Paul Craig has took a bit of a risk here. You know, light heavyweight's still a little bit wide open. He's got some sensational wins at light heavy. I know he says he's not giving up on the division, but he's got some big wins. He's in prime position. He's come down, given away, you know, 
energy, all these types of things. You don't know what it's going to take out of you. And he's gone right in against Andre Muniz, who is absolutely the business. Muniz didn't flinch, mate, at that nose to nose. He was like, that's how we're doing it. That's how we're doing it, mate. Let's roll. And I thought that Paul showed real good developments on the feet because he's been criticised in the past for being a bit lacklustre when it comes to his striking. I thought you could see it. Okay, we're not talking Adesanya, but what we are saying is there is a development there. It wasn't in a rush to get to his jiu-jitsu. I'm going to use my hands and my feet in order to maybe set something up. And I thought first round, he was very, very good. Second round, I thought Mooney's actually started the round really good. And yeah. and then he, he he messed up. He threw in that ridiculous headbutt. And listen, I don't like to say that people do stuff on purpose, but when you actually look at it, down on it. you think, come on, mate. That's not an accidental, like you're moving a position. You've literally... Yeah gone in in order to to advance your position and you've cracked him with your head. Rightfully so. No, you lose the position, pal. He was lucky, I thought, not to get a point taken off him for intentional use of the head. Yeah. And then Paul just went through the gears then, mate, and showed some serious confidence in his jiu-jitsu against an elite grappler. Yeah. The way that he picked him up, he goes, okay, you've seen me, you all lot, you know, when I fought Uzumir, you lot all watched me trying to pull guard and I bored you to death, right? I'm not going to pull guard this time. I'm going to go and get top position. Bang, straight over the top. Muniz had a wonderful little, kind of a little grip on him. He flipped himself over the back end of that, went through the gears, got onto full mount. And you're just thinking, you've got to go now, mate. You've got to rent. You're there. You've got to go now. And he just absolutely teed off. It's a phenomenal win, a real phenomenal win. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do next year. For me, it's got to stay at middleweight. You know, I just think this is the right weight division for him. And, and yeah. that's not to say, as you say, he's had magnificent success at light heavyweight. He's beaten two of the best guys at the top of the light heavyweight tree. He's also lost to some of the other contenders in the light heavyweight. Middleweight's a brand new move for him. And Moon is, prior to Paul Craig's arrival, was the jiu-jitsu guy. He was the biggest threat when it came to submissions at 185. Paul Craig has just took that title away from him. Now Paul Craig is the danger man. Paul Craig's the guy at 185 you do not want to go to ground with. And okay, he looked incredibly gaunt at the weigh-in. And he looked, you know, skinny on the night as well compared to what we've seen previously with Paul Craig. Of course, he's a lot lighter than what he was. But if he felt strong, as performance suggests he felt strong, as performance suggests he felt great, if that weight cutting isn't taking too much out of him. I don't like the idea of him going light, heavy, or middle and jumping no, between. Stay, I think stay. if, you, if you, you're at middle now, stay at middle. Stay at middle, ride it out. Don't let your body grow back and then try and bring it down again. Once you fluctuate the weight divisions, it will impede performance. Stay light as you can. Stay at 185. Let's see if we can get another fight in before the end of the year and see where this goes. Because right now, with Paul Craig and Chris Duncan, and Jojo Wood, I can smell another UFC Glasgow or even a UFC Edinburgh card on the, uh, in the future. I really can. Yeah. And that'll be a big one. That'll be a top six, seven uh, middleweight eliminator type fight as well. Yeah, man. it's going to be interesting that because I don't know if you saw Dave Shaw, uh, the communications officer for the UFC, he was interviewed uh, at the press conference and he said, listen, yeah, um, next year we'll be back in London, of course, in March. Uh, but the second show will probably go to a different city. Um, now, of course, since the pandemic, they've not been back to Manchester. They've not, you know, they've previously been in Birmingham and various other places and all Glasgow, this. But you just mentioned, you just well, you just mentioned Glasgow there. 
that's a real possibility with the strength of Scottish fighters that are now coming through to be able to 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 play. Um, but next July, and this all sits nicely, next July is the tenth anniversary of Conor Brandao in Dublin. Ah, okay, okay, we're going to Dublin then. <laughs> yeah, you've you've swayed uh, me. And you've obviously seen some of the signings that they've been making recently. Obviously, Shona was on this card. Uh, yeah. Cal was uh, signed midweek, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, uh, so certain things are pointing us in the direction, maybe for uh, for July in Dublin next year, especially with it being the tenth anniversary of uh, Conor Brandao. Yeah. And you'd think Ian Gary in a top top you ten think. welterweight clash with the thought. If it if all goes well with his fight against uh, Jeff Neal, Jeff and you probably have maybe one more before that, you would think yeah. that, listen, maybe eliminated time, something like that for, for him in July next year. Wow. There you go. There's the, there's the hot tip. That's what we're thinking. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Nobody's told me that. I'm just think putting a few things together with the way that the UFC is starting to move, signing Irish fighters, that anniversary, Ian Gary's on fire kind of works. So, and obviously with Dave Shaw saying a second, I know it's people come at me and say, we're being pedantic now. I said, well, that's not a UK show. Well, UK and Ireland are kind of viewed as, one yeah. from We're the American guys, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Jai Herbert against the uh, Ziam. Listen, it was just like watching. Have you seen that gif where Spider Man's looking at Spider Man? Yeah, <laughs> that's basically what this fight was, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was um, the mirror images of each other, and one guy was just on it a little bit more than the other guy. I feel for Jai because he came in with some good uh, momentum, he felt good all week, obviously. I thought the instructions from Leon in the corner were absolutely outstanding. He just couldn't get off. He no. just couldn't get it off. And we spoke to him in the hotel afterwards. Massive disappointment, of course. But Ziam's no joke. He's a, he's a, he's a, a top-level fighter. And I just thought his use of his limbs, I know that sounds dead obvious, was just a bit sharper and a bit better than where Jai was at. Yeah, I would love to have seen Jai just mix up a few more takedown attempts, a few more trips. Don't get me wrong, he tried a couple and. Fares was uh, was used as because he looked a little bit taller, but he's got incredibly long arms, incredibly long legs, and he was able just to outmaneuver Jai up against the fence in those moments. But it was a fight that you feel like they could fight each other ten times and it'd be five five. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it was it was it's that type of fight. It was just Fares, Knight, and Jai, as you say. He'll look back, he'll kick himself. You know, I thought, it, listen, I thought it was a two. 29-28 round. I think two of the judges saw it that way. One judge gave fears all the rounds. I thought that was a little bit hard. Was harsh, either way, yeah. either way, uh, yeah. It it just it was kind it, it kind of summed up what had happened on the prelims with some wins, some losses, a shitload of points decisions. It was it, again, it was another a weird puncture in a night that had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and a lot of very ordinary stuff in the middle and that fight unfortunately was just a it just didn't get going didn't catch the fire. only listen there's a few th obviously disappointed for people but you can understand it listen we're here to represent mixed martial arts celebrate all the athletes not just the british ones ziam fairly won no doubt yes. in my mind about that for, for player to him daniel marcos didn't win against no, david didn't. grant that didn't happen and that left a little bit of a, a bit of taste in my mouth. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be dead honest about it because <clears throat> listen, you can win fights going backwards, of course you can. You can win fights going forward, you can win fights in multiple ways. This is mixed martial arts. We talk about the criteria all the time. 
Yeah, you are looking for clean, effective work. You are looking for damage. That's what you're looking for. Who is dishing it out? So when you look at the scorecards that eventually came in for David Grant versus Daniel Marcos, uh, you have a a split where one's going in David's favour, two's going in uh, Daniel Marcos's favour. And two of the judges that scored it in Marcus's favour gave the first round to Daniel Marcos. Now, in the moment, I remember, me, listen, me, me and you watched it on the presentation lens, didn't, didn't we? Um, and I always, always watch it on my monitor because grappling exchanges, you can see it better on a monitor than me being in the sky looking down on a map with two little dots, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm watching it and going forward. I felt so confident in the moment of saying David Grant won the first round. Second round, me and you had a proper discussion about it, didn't we? And we and I went, I said, listen, man, I said, that is just artificial, that cut across Davy's nose. Yeah, and the nose. And okay, visually, visually, that's damage, isn't it? That's damage. But it's it's one thing. It's like Nate Diaz. You breathe on Nate Diaz and he bleeds, right? So you've got to take into consideration everything, not just the visual aspect of, oh, he's bleeding. There must be more damage than he has taken. Not yeah. necessarily always the case. I thought round number three is a relatively easy round to score, as did all three judges, and they gave it, they gave it to David Grant. So the contentious round for me comes in uh, with round one in particular. Now, I watched this back yesterday, right? And I was annoyed in the moment. I'm even more annoyed now, even more watching it back. Oh, good. Because... That makes me feel better because I thought you were going to flip on it then. No, mate. I, thought, more... I, I was convinced Davey won the first round. He did. He did. And watching it back yesterday, I said, right, come on. Because we're lucky. We've got a criteria to work, work towards. So therefore, nine times out of 10, me and you will come on this show and we'll say, I don't agree, but I understand. And that's the key thing. That's the key thing, I think, for development in the, in the game, right? Now, I don't agree and I don't understand for, this, for the two judges to go in the direction of Daniel Marcus for the first round. And the reason why, right? I watched this round and I'm watching it really closely, paying attention to everything because we're looking out for clean, effective work. We're looking out for that damage. There is a moment where Davy throws a kick. Uh, Marcos throws a kick at the same time, and he takes away Davy's standing Thanks. leg. Right? Yeah, he takes away his standing leg. Davy bounces down on his backside. Within half a second, woof, he's straight back up. Okay. I remember. Now, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Visually, you look at that and you go, "He's put him down. Damage." Right? And granted, it's a kick that lands on the leg and it knocks him off balance. He goes down. He's straight back up. You get a point for that. I'm not saying you don't score it. Of course you score it. But to what level are you scoring that? To what level are you saying, oh, that, 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 that's, that's the major damage in the round? No, it's not. It was significant to acknowledge for Marcos. But the next, the majority of that round, Davey's leg kicking, he's landing his hands. In fact, all three of these rounds, I can make an argument that David Grant won them all. That, 30, that was the point I was just going to make. I, 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 I thought I give the second round to Marcos based on him cutting the nose, based on him landing one punch and cutting that nose. And it's hard to argue that single shot isn't the most damaging shot. However, on the night, I thought, well, yeah, but that's one punch. That's like saying that one punch that cut his nose is more significant than seven leg kicks, bunch of punches from Davy Grant, a head kick. Like, there's got to be a correlation here. Yes, that's caused a cut on the nose. And cuts can be quite superficial. He had a little nick taken out of his nose. But Davy Grant, 
absolutely outworked them in every round for me and outworked them probably in round number two. But because in the moment, I was like, all right, the judges are going to see that. The judges are probably going to give that to Marcos. But that probably isn't right. Honestly, when I come away on the train yesterday and I was thinking about it and I was like, he definitely won round one. I remember yeah. watching it and going, right, that's one in the bag for Davy Grant. Too much pressure, too much heat, stepping on Marcos. Marcos was doing his roadrunner act for me for all three rounds, on the back foot, circling around the cage, trying to pick and, pick his shots, but not landing anywhere near the volume or in that anywhere near the damaging shots that Davy Grant was landing. And then, okay, six up, second up for conversation because of the cut. Judges like to see blood. Hey, that must be the damage. But I thought the way Davy came out in round number three, went, nah, man, come on. Boom, and just went through the gears up the level. And Marcos was literally backpedaling away, getting hit, getting teed off on, not landing anything of significance. I didn't think it was a hard fight to score. I really no. didn't. 30-27 or 29-28 in favour of Davy Grant all day. It shocked me that two of these judges had a 29-28 in favour of Marcos because he didn't win one and he definitely didn't win three. The um, If you actually... I encourage people to go back and watch this, right? The If you watch all three rounds, the narrative of the rounds is quite, quite simple to follow. The first three minutes are relatively competitive between both blocks, right? As you said, one's going forward, one's going backwards. One's landing counter punches on the back foot, Marcos. He is quite accurate with what he's doing, but there's a very low volume to it. Whereas Correct. the guy going forward is landing. Some of the stuff's being blocked, but it's a higher volume. So for all three rounds, I've looked at them and they've gone, they all follow a very similar pattern. You get three minutes of very competitive stuff, two minutes of Davy Grant winning, right? In, in fact, the second round is signposted for you because there's a groin strike. So watch round number two and you look at the first three minutes. That's where the, the, the first headshot, that's the first time he actually lands anything with his fist. Yes. In the whole fight, he doesn't land anything in the first round where his fist does Marcos. Oh. So in the in the second round, the first time he lands something with his fist is the time that he cuts Davy. And obviously, there's a couple more strikes in there, so therefore it splatters the blood a little bit further around his face. And that takes place over a period of three minutes. Davy's in that three minutes. Is Marcos winning that three minutes? Probably just. Probably just. Then there's a groin strike. <clears throat> go and watch. Go and watch the next one minute, 50 seconds of what happens. Davey wins that one minute, 50 seconds, of which for me, in the moment, I remember having the conversation with you on the ledge. I was going, mate, I, fe I felt Davey took that. And I'm I'm questioning myself, am I being hometown bias? Am I being, because I know him? Yeah. No, I'm not. I think I'm being quite fair to say Davey took that as well. But, all right, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. We can have a conversation about it with the judge and say, okay, maybe Marcos took it. There's no doubt about three. Absolutely no doubt about it. I thought that that was terrible, mate. I really do. That first round scoring was piss poor because I just don't understand it. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, the three judges taking part in that fight were some of the most inexperienced judges on this card, unfortunately, for Davy Grant. And that's massively disappointing. But uh, well, I just feel, I just him, feel for him, him because it, yeah, it, it, it paints good momentum. Exactly. He's in good momentum. He's winning on the road. He's doing it in style. This was his big homecoming. He deserved this moment. And with all due respect, this will not help Daniel Marcos because Daniel Marcos, for me, lost this fight and it should have been a 
okay, back to the drawing board. We've got stuff to work on. We need to be more aggressive. We can't just try and counter all the time. We need to be a bit more front foot. Daniel, this will stunt Daniel Marcos's progression as a mixed martial artist. I truly believe that. This was a night when he needed to take an L against a veteran and go, you know what? You outwork me tonight, veteran. Noted. That's something I can work on. Honestly, I think, I think it was... I know Marcos got the win and he'll get he'll double his money, so he probably won't give a fuck. He'll ride off into the sunset. And the kid's got a magnificent backstory himself. I get it. But for his long-term development, that, those kind of decisions don't help anyone. Least of all the guy that should have had his arm raised, obviously. Yeah, and where he's at in his career, Davey. You know, he's in a good momentum. He's on the verge of maybe challenging for a ranking. He's just lost out on his win bonus. It's put him back. Like I said, we spoke in the bar afterwards. He said, that's probably put me back a year. I've got to go and get another two wins now before I can start talking about getting ranked again. Whereas I've just come off the back of that fantastic comeback victory against us in Sao. Yeah. If uh, obviously this guy, you know, I beat this guy, I'm, you know, I might have got 15 on Tuesday. Yeah. I might have done. Yeah. He might not have done, but his next fight, another win, he would is. Have been a fifth, would have been a, his next fight would have been a top 15. Yeah, man. <sighs> frustrating. Very frustrating. Um, Anyway, um, I'll tell you what else is frustrating as well. Danny Roberts is too hard for his own good. Too tough for his own good. He's boxing beautifully. I'm thinking, Dan, you look good, man. You're looking slick. Lateral movement's good. Good little shots. Johnny Parsons, obviously hard as nails, man. Obviously hard as nails. He's taking your stuff, but you're boxing him up. There's no competition when it comes to the lateral movement between these two guys. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, Parsons lands one. <clears throat> Kid can, obviously, he's got fucking concrete in his hands, hasn't he? He can obviously whack. He, he, he clips Danny. Danny feels it. And rather than do, again, coming back to the Nathaniel Wood fight that I mentioned a minute or two ago, rather than, right, take a breath here, clinch up, just let me head clear, right, yeah. get on my range, because I was boxing this kid up. Don't yeah. have to go tough, man. Danny then feels like he's got to get it back. And then he goes for it. And... Listen, as a fan of MMA, it's why I love him, absolutely, because I'm sat there going, you're just all out entertainment. It's probably why he's had such a long career in the UFC, yeah. because he's absolutely must-see television. But for him, that fight was there for him to win. And because he went balls to the wall, he didn't end up winning it. It's the right decision by Herzog. I know there's only a couple of seconds left in the, in the round, but he's done. He's taking so much punishment. Uh, congratulations to Johnny Parsons' debut. Listen, mate, you've just taken out a, a really good seasoned vet um, on uh, on your on that performance away from home as well. Plenty more great things to come for you, no doubt, in the UFC. But from Danny's point of view, I just thought to myself, you just made the wrong decision in the moment. Just box. It's easy for us. To, it's easy for us to say, but the decibel levels go up. Crowd of chanting, crowd of cheering, and he's an entertainer, mate. That's what he does. Listen, he got the 50 grand bonus, uh, as did Johnny Parsons, and they deserved it because the biggest threat to that bonus was probably Nathaniel Wood and Andre Feely. But the third round in that fight, they both checked themselves and went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's be a little bit more astute about this. Whereas Danny Roberts just went, fuck it, man, let's just go. And Johnny Parsons was like, mate, I'll go. If you want to go, let's fucking go. And it was, as you say, from an entertainment spectacle point of view, from the neutral point of view, fantastic. Fight of the night, clearly brilliant stuff. It's what you tune in for, it's what you buy a ticket for. For someone that knows Danny personally, that knows him, his family, that knows his 
his kids and what it means to him and how much he invests time away from his family to to be in these positions. I know it was heartbreaking for him. And, and I didn't think it, you know, I didn't think it was helped by his corner either. I think the advice he got in his corner at the end of round one, he had a great first round. Johnny Parsons had his moments, but I think Danny wins the first round. He does. With that boxing, nice and slick, nice and composed. And the corner said to Danny at the end of round one, he said, listen, if you want to go out there and just go toe-to-toe, you want to just swing away, you can do it. But, you know, let's try this, let's try that. And th- They did tell him to be tight, didn't they? They said, they did. They, they said you could go, but be tight. But they also said, we've won a round there. We've won a round with boxing, good footwork, nice, as you say, lateral movement, slipping, keeping Johnny Parsons thinking, keeping that head movement. Why in that moment... Do you go, listen, if you want to go and stand in the middle of the canvas, you can. You can do that. Why are you feeding that part of his yeah, ego? I agree that. that needs I agree. to be controlled, just like with Nathaniel Woods and Andre Feely. Control the fighter. Control that fucking, that, in, that, that monster within him that just wants to stand and trade and light the place up. You've got to control the beast. Bring that out when you're absolutely necessary. Don't go, listen, man, if you want a tough guy, you can. But if you do it, stay tight. Why say that? You just run around. Just continue what you're doing. Don't get mixed up with him. Guy's a fucking kickboxer with a mullet. What does he want you to do? He wants you to stand in the middle of the cage and swing. He's got a fucking mullet. That's what people with mullets do. They throw down in fucking car parks. That's what he wanted. He wanted a fight where skill level went out the window, where technique went out the window. And it was like, wow, let's just dab it and one of us will go. We know Danny loves that as well. He's seen it many, many times. But at this stage of his career, when you've just won the first round by being nice and tight and slick, and why even put that in his head? Just go, no, hey, whoa, we ain't getting mixed up. We never did a 12-week training camp in Florida. Sacrifice time away from your kids and anything else for you to just fucking throw down. You're not a thug. This is not a car park. We ain't at Yates. This is a mixed martial arts contest. Keep your focus. Keep your discipline. Stay on the outside. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't engage with him. Don't get. Don't fight his fight. Again, Johnny Parsons is on his debut. The kid's fucking. Well, yeah. Um, listen, accomplished tie boxer. I get it. He's been competing before, of course. But Johnny wants a fight. Just give me a fight, man. Just come to me and fight. And when he tagged Danny, and as you say, Danny does have that beast inside, and that goes shit. I've just been it. I've got to get one back. I've got to land on him because Danny can knock people out. We've seen it many of course times. He can. That's when the corner have to control it and go, no, no, you don't have to get it back. You get your head back on your shoulders, you circle round, you tie him up, you get yourself sorted, you come back to comp- composed, hands up, nice and high. Right, okay, sound. All right, you've caught me. I'll get you before the end of the round. But unfortunately, Danny just went balls to the wall. And again, the fucking place was on its feet. The place erupted. It, got, it bagged them both a 50 grand bonus. It was mega. But... What would have been mega was Danny being more composed, having that moment and seeing that fight out with his skill sets rather than putting his heart on his sleeve, which he does every time. Uh, I'm gutted for him because I know how much yes, it sir. meant to him. I know how much this this sport, his career, earning a living for his kids. Of course, listen, the, ironically, winning the 50 grand bonus is probably more than what he'd have got if he'd have won in a boring, dull fight. And at the end of the day, this is a prize fight, and then you want to make as much money as possible. The irony of that is bonkers. 
But I also know Danny wants Danny truly believes he can put a run together, he can put a win together. I know how high level he is. He trains at Kilcliffe for the reason he's trained with high level guys there, and he's far from just a punch bag. But in that moment, that minute of composure, I just I think. I don't want to criticise his corner too much. I just think that bit of advice, you just sowed the seed in his head. If you do want to do that, you can. But why, man? Just do what you're doing. You're winning. Oh. Yeah. Disappointed for Mike Giacchese. Um, Obviously getting beat off Joel Alvarez. We said that it was a tough fight. Alvarez is a submission king. He's class. Um, he was class, to be fair. He was class. He was class. But we listen. The the I think the rule's gonna get I think the result's gonna get overturned. It should be. It should do anyway, or there should be some type of complaint going in from uh, the Mark Jacquesi camp. Um I thought Jacquesi approached it really well. Yes, we saw the flashy stuff, didn't we? We saw the strikes, we saw all that type of carry on, um, which we all fell in love with Mark for when he burst onto the scene back in 2016 in, in the UFC. We know what the threat is of uh, Alvarez. It is a completely accidental head clash, and the referee didn't see it because he was on he was on the wrong side. Yeah, but there's no doubt in my mind that that clash of heads, and it was signalled by Jacquesi, absolutely led to the finish because Jacquesi yeah. then switches off. He's concerned about it. Joel Alvarez does exactly the right thing. He goes through the gears. He's like going, you want to play? We'll play. Bang, 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 bang. Next thing you know, wraps him up and has him submitted. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it wasn't reviewed. It should have been reviewed in the immediacy. They should have gone, ah, fuck. I missed that. Sorry. That's absolutely led to this particular moment. We're going to have a no contest. Yeah, it did. And uh, that was the surprising thing. I never got to see Mark afterwards, or, or even Mark Ratner around the hotel, because I would absolutely have asked them if they if they'd heard anything from ringside, if there was a decision made. I felt like there was a bit of commotion. Obviously, we were some way away, but Bispin and Felder on comms were talking about them looking at tape and looking at video screens and potentially looking at uh, the moment. And in that moment, they've decided there won't be any action. I don't think there will be any action now moving forward. It kind of if it's going to happen, it's going to happen there and then. But I feel really badly for, for Mark Jacquesi. Don't get me wrong, I thought Alvarez looked big and looked strong. And he's good, isn't he? He's, he's mate, very good. His kickboxing is very good as well. And he, man. And he forced Jacquesi to go to his takedown game, to go to a more grappling, a grappling side of thing towards the end of the first round and certainly in the second round. I think that's down to the fact that Alvarez is a fucking big old boy and he was whacking. But you're right, there's there's no as good as Alvarez may have looked in moments, and even Mark looked good in moments. The most significant moment of that fight came when Alvarez's head hit Mark's head. And Mark held it, man. He's not he's not, he's not gonna try and cheat. He's round the lie. back of the head when he was, was like, whoa, 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 backed up to the fence and was like, whoa, letting the referee know. Listen, Dan Motherheady is one of the best referees in the game. Yeah. Um, and Dan. Honestly, if you watch the tape, he's circling behind the back of uh, of Joel. Oh, Alvarez. he does it. He doesn't see it, but that's it his job. He does it's not the review see referee. It. The review exactly. Done that's it. the whole point of the review referee being there, being able to rewind it back and go on. clear clash of heads. We have to deal with it now. Maybe they did that, but if they did do that, they must have seen the clear clash of heads. Yeah, and they must have seen that. That led to the finish. That led to Mark Jacquesi capitulating because he's like, "What? You know, what day is it?" Next thing you know, he's in a Bravo choke. Really disappointing. It never got overturned. Really disappointing. Gutted for Mark. Yeah, gutted for Mark. Uh, delighted for Chris Duncan. Because this matchup, going into the fight with Yanalash Moose, we were all like, this, I tell you what, yeah. 
Here we go, sunshine. Um, and I tipped it for the low-key fight of the night because I thought that they just absolutely belt the living daylights out of each other. And I said on the broadcast at the weekend, nah, it wasn't fight of the night. It was maybe worthy of a performance bonus from Chris Duncan because he was absolutely sensational. We've seen him go balls to the wall in the past. This was clever. This was calculated. And this, this was not getting greedy when you full, when you had a wounded animal in front of you that was still dangerous, he didn't get greedy. He kept disciplined. He stayed yeah. on his game plan and he absolutely deserved to get that victory. Ash Moose is a tough man. Very tough man, you know. Chris May, I don't I haven't seen the report, but Chris May have broken his uh, broken Ash Moose's arm in that first I round. I seen Ash Moose on uh, Sunday morning. I was walking to get the train and he was coming back over to Canary Wharf and he had a full cast on his arm. So it looked right, like he had right. a broken arm, yeah. Right then. Yeah. But caused by Chris. Chris oh, dished yeah. that out in the first round. Then he absolutely did not get greedy because it's quite obvious that Ashmoose is not throwing that left hand. He's not putting any jabs together. His kickboxing is absolutely sensational. And he's just looking to land that big one-ton bomb in it. Fair play to Chris. Kept it nice and rangy. Teed off when he needed to tee off. I thought his boxing was brilliant, mate. And I'm really excited. Performances like that get me giddy because you're sure that you can, you're actually thinking in there. You're not yeah. going in there and just going, ah, oh, let's just fucking have a scrap, man. He thought about that and he stuck to it. He has the discipline to stick to it. Yeah. He very exciting at 155 for Chris Duncan. That was a career best performance, let's be honest. He was absolutely outstanding. And comparing that version of Chris Duncan on Saturday night to one that was in Dana White's contender series, mate, fucking chalk and cheese. Just he's come on mate, so much. I enjoyed both so because there's, there's, oh, he was, there's entertainment he in was it fun. All. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course. But it, you're right. The, the key word here is discipline. The key word here is he had a game plan. He stuck to the game plan. I was chatting to him in the hotel uh, in the aftermath when we got back later on to Chris. And uh, obviously, I was congratulating him. I said, mate, that was supposed to be a 50-50. That was supposed to be a rock and sock and robots. And, you know, how good's your chin? How good's his chin? That was supposed to be a bonkers fight. But instead, it turned into a masterclass. You played with them. You were absolutely brilliant from start to finish. And he was like, that was always the plan. He said, you know, I'm not investing all this time going to ATT and training with people like Dustin Poirier and to, to then go in there and just lose my head and let the red mist come down and throw caution to the wind. He's like, no, nah, man, I'm, 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 I'm rapidly developing and I want to show these skills when I get inside this octagon. And he absolutely did that. And I said to him, I said, did you realize you've broken his arm? or you'd seriously damaged his arm in the first round. And he said, no. He said, no one mentioned it in the corner. We didn't know. He said, if I'd have known, I'd have kicked fuck out of it and made him quit because it's a fight at the end of the day. He went, I ain't lying. If someone had said me, his left arm's gone, I'd have focused on that left arm like a, like a bull to a red rag. He went, but we didn't know because we were that focused in the corner not to give him the moment, not to yeah. allow him the second with your chin up in the air, not to give Ashmoos a free shot, a get-out-of-jail-free card. My focus, 100%, was to stick to the game plan that we had, and the game plan was perfectly suited to beat Ashmoos as he proved in the first round. Even before the injury, he was winning the fight, and he just continued to systematically do that. Of course, Ashmoos had gone from having four limbs to three, so he's at a massive disadvantage now, so he was always up against it. And, you know, it was a difficult fight for him to have to come through. We've seen in the corner, he was basically arguing with his corner team because they were like, mate, throw a punch. And he was like, I can't even clench a fist, was the translation by the, by the translator on the night. So you've got to feel for Ash moves because injuries happen, man, and sometimes... They did it, though, you know, mate. 
He but still kept trying to back himself with that big right hand, guy. didn't he? Yeah, balls yeah. of steel, still throwing kicks, still winging over big right hands, still trying to change the moment. But we're, we're far from done with your Nalash moves, if anything. His reputation gets enhanced because he's a serious fucking dude, him. But for Chris Duncan, as I say, career best performance in London, Saturday night. It was faultless. For Scottish yeah. MMA, it was the best night. It was a brilliant night. And it was a signpost that said, get that octagon up to Glasgow, man, because we're ready. Yeah. Mick Parkin looked good. Very good. Win, win yeah. every round. Won it in third gear for me. Jamal yeah. Pogues realised that he wasn't fast enough to live with Mick Parkin, and he certainly wasn't technically good enough. And I think Pogues looked good. A little bit of a Andy Ruiz about him, quite a heavy set lad, but fast hands. But his yeah. hands weren't fast enough for Mick Pogues. Mick Parkin, sorry. Mick Parkin, for me, he looked like a guy that trains daily with Phil DeFries and Tom yeah. Aspinall. And then you put him in there with a guy that's a relative novice like him, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, lad. I train with them every day. So with all due respect, you're at a different level. I thought Mick made it look easy, stayed out of, stayed safe, hardly got a, a punch laid on him. I would love to have seen him go through the gears, but then, yeah. you know, at the end it's of the day, heavy. this is the heavyweight division, man, and you're on your debut in your seventh fight, and you're in the UFC, and here's me going, oh, go on, lad, take a chance, roll those ice, go on, have a go. Mate, he wins every minute of every round. I guess that's a yeah. great debut. Yeah. One debut that didn't go to plan was obviously Shauna's. Uh, debut Sean O'Bannon. Um, I think my assessment of this is that, and, and they said this in, in commentary, and it came after my, that me having the thought, she's a fantastic points fighter. You know what I mean? Like, brilliant. She gets there, but there didn't seem to be the sting no, in order it's like, it's like to land. It's like fighting kickboxing or taekwondo. That bouncy style. Yeah, it's rat-a-tat-tat stuff. And you need something, especially in MMA at, at, at this level in the UFC, you need to hurt people. That's what you need to do. Um, and I'm sure that Shauna's going to look at that and she's going to say, right, okay, this is a new level. Um, and it, it can only do her good. It can only do her good, obviously, having a fight like that, loads of hype throughout the course of the week, uh, falling short, and given the level that she's hit in the past amateur uh, in particular, I'm sure she's been here before. I'm sure she's come up against stuff that I'm, oh, hang on a minute. That level surprised me a little bit. Oh, that surprised me a little bit. I go away, I work harder. Now I know I've got to do this. I've got to sit down a little bit more. I've got to stinger. I've got to use uh, more of my rounded game. Um, and I'm sure she'll bounce back at some point, hopefully before the end of the year that we'll get to see her again. To be honest, all she's got to do to look about, to 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 see the growth and, and 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 what this sport's about maybe compared to other sports or other levels of this sport. Look at her opponents. Bruno Brazil came out exactly the same way, bouncing on her mm. toes, in, out, in, out. And after about two or three minutes of the opening round, Bruno Brazil just went, nah, man, I'm going to sit down. So and she went flat-footed. And that mm. meant she generated so much more power. And then she just waited to counter Shauna then. And every time she did, she rocked her. She hurt her. To be fair, Shauna showed us, showed us she's got a sensational chin because yeah. there was a there was a head kick either in the first or the second round that would put people to sleep, and she yet it like Pac-Man, but she kept bouncing round, tippy tap, tippy tap, tippy tap, stuff that's probably won her hundreds of kickboxing, you know, point scoring titles. But Bruno Brazil made the adjustment that she needed to make to go. 
nah man, I ain't bouncing. You're bouncing, so I'm going to stay flat-footed and I'm going to time you as you come in. And that's what she did. And and it it was a it was a very one-sided fight, to be totally honest with you. I thought Bruno Brazil looked really good, really strong. Shauna, everything about the week was magnificent. Yeah. Until the bell went. Yeah. And then we realised there's levels to this game and Shauna needs to go away and work on that. But don't be surprised if next time we see Shauna Bannon, there's a lot less bouncing around on the toes and there's a lot more. There's, there's very few people that have that style and make it work. Stephen yeah. Wonderboy Thompson's got that style. He makes it work. Michael Venom Page, you could argue, makes that work. But in certain moments, the heels have to come down to get real power, to generate power that's going to sting someone. You can't just bounce on your toes and flick kicks and flick punches and run in with punches. You've got to start sitting down, bending, and getting some real lateral movement going, bam, bam, to mix in real power. Listen, Shauna's very experienced. She doesn't need technical advice from me. But I just think when we see Shauna Bannon again, she will look different from what she did there. I really do truly believe that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Ophelia. Jeez, man. Uh, he's a... Listen, he proved, yeah. He, he gave us a brilliant uh, fight in uh, in March against Mohamed Mokhaev. Mo ended up subbing him in the third round, but it was not before Jaffel nearly took his knee uh, clean off. And in this fight against Daniel Perez, open the open the card, right? It's the curtain jerker, as you would say. Massive. Opens the show, opens the show up, and these two definitely worth watching. It's mega. Mate, I'm gut, I'm gutted for them that they didn't get the official fight the night before. I'm sure they got looked after because Perez comes out, he looks tremendous. I'm thinking, oh fuck me, his striking's absolutely outstanding. Look at this. Nearly has Filio out there. And then all of a sudden, it were like, again, we keep referring to memes, don't, don't we? Somebody call the cops, but not for me. And he fucking <laughs> literally turns the whole fight clean on its head and takes Perez out. Mate, yeah. it, it's definitely going to be a contender for comeback of the year because it was just brilliant. Just because Fio had to take a knee on two occasions, he was basically done. You know, twice Barez whipped that kick into his rib cage. Fuck. And every time he kicked him, you could hear the crack across the whole room. And it was bright you know, red. was it was, a big was bright pretty red empty red. then. Yeah. Yeah. It was like he was getting hit by a shotgun. I was like, oh my God. And Theo was like, visibly winced. And then there was another moment where Barez backed him up against the ropes and just slipped one and just went bang. And just a big, huge hook to the body as well. And once again, Theo was like, ah, going over. And you went, mate, matter of time, this. Perez is just way too powerful. Theo's never been hit to the rib cage like that before with rib, with punches or kicks. He is done. One more good shot to that rib cage. And, you know, we're talking broken ribs. He ain't getting back up again, Jafael. But as you say, mate, once he got it to his world, what's he got? once he got hold of Perez, once he got to take him down and get him on the mat, it was like, right, okay. I can breathe now. I'm in my world. Let's work in this arm triangle. What a turnaround. Undoubtedly shortlisted for comeback of the year because he was done. Jafael was done. And then he wasn't. Mega. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to flag up, just whilst we were talking about Danny before, I was thinking about Mahmoud's uh, performance against uh, Bam Bam Barberina. Again, this is a bad clash too. Yeah. Really bad. But again, discipline. Didn't yeah. lose his frame, did it? Didn't get Correct. dragged in. Barbarina wanted... Barbarina's talking to him halfway through the fight. He said, come on, fucking fight yeah. me. Just didn't lose form. Just, I'll stay here, mate. I'll stay here, yeah. thank you very much. And I'll Whatever keep doing what I'm doing. Thought it was a solid, solid performance. 
Yeah, um, likewise, Caitlin Vieira, just to tick the last yeah. fight off that card as well. Caitlin Vieira beating uh, Pani Kianzad. That was a. That very, was she a, was very good, mate. She that was, was a bantamweight, to be honest with you, a bit of a bantamweight title eliminated, even though it was deep down on the prelims. But Caitlin Vieira just outclassed there, just proved in mixed martial arts terms. I'm better than you, kid. I'm better than you across the spectrum of the sport. And she could well get a title shot next, Caitlin Vieira. Yeah. Listen, long night, 15 fights, decision heavy at, uh, at UFC London. One thing that I just wanted to flag up as well, my mate Mark Goddard. Yeah. Oh, mate. We've had a right week with him. He, uh, when we were doing the weighing show, I know that you set it up, right? But when we were doing the weighing show on, uh, on Friday morning, just because of the position that we were in in the room, he couldn't get to me without me seeing him. Yeah. So I saw him come facing towards the door. The door. Yeah, because I was facing this way and the door would have been there. And I saw him and I just saw his big smiling face and he's looking at me and I went, ah, fuck. Is this going to happen on TV or is this not going to happen on TV? Anyway, he couldn't get through. We couldn't get on the show. And we had a brief break, didn't we? And mm-hmm. he come over and uh, obviously and you- he put it on me a little bit. We had a little bit of a crack. But the best bit, the, the best bit when it got even worse was uh, the mo- fight day morning, right? So I've been out for my run with Bispin. I'm changed. I'm ready to go to the to the event. Sat on my own in reception. There's nobody about. So the previous one that I've just been speaking about, loads Room of people, people were around. Exactly. He's not going to do. He's not going to do anything daft in front of loads of people, is he? I'm on my own in reception, aren't I? And I just see him walking towards me on this corridor, and his eyes lit up, and he went. All right, mate. <laughs> oh fuck! Oh, I stood up straight away to shake his hand. He goes, "What are you doing?" No, 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 no. But we had a good crack, mainly because the reason why I wanted to flag it up, obviously, him hunting me down. Don't know if you've seen his actions from the uh, from the Cage Warriors fight the previous night. Yeah. Since that's how you referee. That is that is a person that is absolutely right at the uh, the, the top of the game. The way that he dealt with um, illegal shots, it's gone viral now. I think he even did some pieces for uh, ESPN uh, the day after because obviously people were, were, were quick. And we've done it in this show where we've been talking about officiating and judging and it being lackluster. We're quick to criticise referees. Obviously, we would have said... Jason Herzog, great, put his hand up. He said, listen, I was late with the molly tap and all that. We're quick to jump on people like Herb and all these guys when they don't get it right. When they get it right and they show you a gold standard and they they show you that it's absolutely the business, it also deserves to be flagged up uh, on the programme. And I thought, Mark, on the Friday night was absolutely awesome. Brilliant again on the Saturday night. And he didn't choke me out, which makes me love him even more. So thank you very much for that. There you go. Little wank off for Mark Goddard from Adam Cattle there as that's well. That's it. And that's going to be the theme of the show now going forward for... Uh, <laughs> the for, foreseeable. Uh, that's it. Mark Goddard's going to get a special mention from me every single week. <laughs> uh, right, there we go. Uh, that's your action this week. And listen, that was UFC London reviewed. Later this week, UFC 291 is going to get oh. previewed. It's a phenomenal week for fight sports, as we keep highlighting. So make Salt Lake sure City, baby. You, uh, you, you. Can... Also, it's that Bellator Rising thing as well this weekend, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where they're doing that crossover so, thing yeah. over in Japan. Yeah, AJ McKee's so. on it, and all them types of makes it's mental. It's a me- it's a mental crazy week. Um, and hopefully you're going to come back for it. So make sure you subscribe to us. Fightdisciples.com is our website. The, go there, loads of different bits on the audio feed. And we've also got uh, 
a space on YouTube too. And we would like to come there to uh, to be part of the family. So hit the Fight Disciples subscription button uh, and consume the content that we make on a day-by-day basis. We'll be back later on in the week, like I said, to preview UFC 291. All in all, a good night from London, highlighted by a heavyweight that is set to take over. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.